Hi friends, I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And we're Dead Drunk. And welcome back to our third installment of <laughs> And So I Stayed. The third and final installment. Woohoo. Yes. I didn't write an intro for you guys, but that's fine. <laughs> it's 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 cool. It's chill. Yeah. So the first case sentence under the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act was the case of Nicole Adamondo, which you should have heard before. It should we be a talk name. about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> should be a common name for you at this point. <laughs> Her case is not only a local case for us, but one that we are incredibly passionate about supporting. Uh, when I tell you I've cried over this case more than oh, so many other things. <laughs> more, more than, than <laughs> once, for sure. Probably more than... More than once, for sure. Yeah, definitely. But a handful yeah. of times. I think a handful yeah, of times. So get ready. Buckle up. There's going to be some tears. You're going to get angry again because this is just, you know. Because we need to get angry, folks. First, I want you to know that today, as you're listening to this episode, Nicole's appeal is being heard. April 22nd, 2021. Secondly, you need a cocktail, right? Of course. And this... The one that I came up with, I came up with it myself. It's really lazy. It's really simple, but it's also cool colors. So spring has sprung, right? It's it's springtime, unless you're in a different hemisphere, which, sorry. <laughs> but we do have, we around have listeners here. from Australia. Yeah, we do. In which case, I apologize. It's not spring <laughs> for you, but, <laughs> but it's fine. It's, it's fine. Spring Spring's going to come around again. It's spring and spirit. It's like how people like want to listen to Christmas music all year round. I want it to be spring all year round. Mm. I just Personally. immediately felt disgust for people that listen to Christmas music all year round. <laughs> there's only like there's only like a handful of Christmas songs that you can listen to all year round, right? That's got to be really exhausting. Yeah, I I will say though, I will watch Home Alone at any time of the year. Well, that's because you but, love But, like, it is a Christmas so. movie, but, like, it's not at the same time, you know? Yeah. And, like, Die Hard, I would watch the shit out of Die Hard on, like, a random... Well, yeah. Die Hard is a debated Christmas movie, but but it's, it's Christmas. A random May <laughs> afternoon, catch me watching Die Hard. Anyway, over here, it's spring, and a lot of violets are popping up. So, and I noticed I had a lot in my backyard and in my neighbor's yard, which I had permission to go in. <laughs> and I went in and I picked all these violets and I made violet syrup, which is very easy to do. You just put, uh, you get like a cup of violets and then a cup of water. You bring it to a boil and then you put hot water. Don't put like boiling water in glass. I've done that. It's not. Oh a, yeah. It'll it crack. Work. Right. So <laughs> yeah, it will. But let it sit for like a I don't know, a few seconds, and then it'll cool from boiling. And then you just add it to the violets, and you leave them in that water for 24 hours. And then the next day, you add that mixture to a double boiler, and then add in a cup of sugar until it dissolved. And then you strain the flowers out into another bowl or whatever you have. And there you have it. That's the violet syrup. And it's freaking delicious. I had it on my oatmeal this morning. Oh, I that sounds put so it on good. Ice cream last yeah. night. Oh, my God, on ice it's cream. It's so good. It was so good on ice cream. <laughs> it was so good. And it's just like a little flavor of sweetness. But anyway, that syrup is really great in cocktails. And you can add it to any other cocktail you want. But this is the super easy one where you just add seltzer and vodka and pour this violet syrup in. And the syrup is a blue lavender color. So the drink will look really cool. But if you want it to be even cooler, you can add some lemon juice. And the acidity from the lemon juice will change the syrup pink. <gasps> stop it will it really will oh my gosh <laughs> i need to go do it right now that sounds so cool it is it's really and, cool and i will say that purple is like isn't that a mixture between blue and pink am i making yeah it is. it is and it is and i thought yeah of... but i also thought it's like a change like a transformation like a oh. phoenix born from the ashes i love everything that's happening right now <laughs> Because that's what we want for Nikki. Yes. So now, let me tell you about Nikki. If you've got your drinks prepared, drunkies, are you ready for the case? Drink up, dead drunkies. We're here. We did it. (laughs) 
Nicole Adamondo is a 31-year-old woman from Poughkeepsie, New York. She is the mother of two beautiful children and known in her community as a loving mother and caring friend. Nikki survived years of violent abuse and sexual torture at the hands of her longtime partner, Christopher Grover. Boo. All of this abuse and torture is well documented by domestic violence advocates, medical professionals, and police records. Still, just like with Kim's case and Tanisha's case, none of it made any difference at the trial. Nikki met Grover in 2008 when they were both working as coaches at Mr. Todd's Gymnastics in Poughkeepsie, which is a pretty big gymnastic place. At first, they were just friends. Nikki was only 19 years old, seen as shy and introverted, and still living with her mother in an apartment, which is to be expected if you're 19 years old. Grover was 21 and described as charming, childlike, playful, and a bit short-tempered. After Todd's gymnastics, Nikki worked as a preschool teacher before becoming pregnant with their first child in 2012. I didn't know she was a preschool teacher. Yeah, you guys have some things in common. (laughs) Wow. And the art, too. She's very good at art. Did you see her latest piece on Instagram? Yeah. It was beautiful. I keep forgetting to... I want somebody to get in contact with um, the Freehand Collective. It's this girl I follow on TikTok. And um, she basically... She had a pen pal in prison. And she took his artwork and made it into like stickers and sold them on oh, Etsy. Oh yeah, I've seen that. And it did really, really well. It did really well. And he's like paying for his education with it now. And so sh- they, they together started a company where you can submit um, a somebody who is incarcerated mm-hmm. who does art and they will turn it into hoodies and hats and t-shirts and all that stuff and sell it. And then the proceeds go to help um, that incarcerated person with either appeal efforts or education or anything that they are passionate about their money going to. So if someone is listening to this that um, can help make this connection happen, let me know. (laughs) You can write to Nicole yourself and tell her about it if you want. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I will. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So where was I? Right. With the birth of their son, the couple decided that Nikki would leave her job to raise him and two years later, his younger sister. Chris continued to work as the head coach at Mr. Todd's while Nikki struggled to make ends meet at home. She would often have to borrow cash from the kids' savings accounts to buy essentials. In an attempt to help their financial situation, Nikki took to sewing baby booties at night, which she sold online for $28 a pair. Cute. Yeah, this every time I learn something new about Nikki, I'm like, this woman is incredible. Like, yeah, <laughs> this, she's and she's so artistic. Like, mm-hmm. I I can crochet, but I could never crochet enough to like sell enough. <laughs> I think you could. You think so? That thanks. You believe in me more than I, I believe do. in me. But, <laughs> but this woman is so freaking artistic. I'm gonna we're gonna get her connected with the Freehand Collective. We even. have to, yeah. <laughs> Chris was well-liked by the young girls he coached and their parents. He was seen as a hardworking family man. He was close with his parents and his younger brother, who he visited often at their home north of Poughkeepsie. At first, Nikki would join him for these visits, but as the relationship continued, it grew more violent for her and the bruises could no longer be brushed off as being caused by Nikki's clumsiness. According to an article from The River, Hudson Valley Newsroom, quote, Adamondo, a survivor of childhood sexual assault, said that Grover began forcing himself on her a couple of years into their relationship. He physically and mentally abused her, forcibly penetrated her with homemade sex toys and foreign objects, including handguns, and filmed multiple rapes, posting them to Pornhub. They're no longer up there. At one point during the relationship, Adamondo's social services worker administered a domestic violence risk assessment, which placed her in the highest risk category for homicide. But she resisted reporting Grover to the authorities. Writing for The New Yorker in December, journalist Rachel Louise Snyder called Adamondo's abuse, quote, among the most extreme I have ever come across in a decade of reporting on domestic violence. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty clear. It, she has all the reports. Yeah, there's no denying that abuse Mm -hmm. is going on, whatever side you're on of this. You know what I mean? Yeah. According to an article from the Medium, quote, 
For six years leading up to the killing of Christopher Grover, the town of Poughkeepsie Police Department had records that described Nicole Adamondo as a victim. The police department in nearby Hyde Park, the Dutchess County Department of Health's Sexual Assault Forensic Examiner Program, the New York State Office of Victim Services, Family Services of Poughkeepsie, the Domestic Violent Agency Grace Smith House, and the Dutchess County District Attorney's Office had all identified or assessed Nikki as a survivor of physical or sexual assaults. CPS had approached her as an at-risk woman, and after Nikki's trial, 20 community members wrote the judge letters of support for Nikki, saying they had noticed black eyes, bruises, abrasions around her neck, and wrists, lesions on her chest, how she winced when she sat, and that she wore scarves and long sleeves in the summer. So, it's very obvious. Everybody knew. All of those government agencies and uh, domestic violence assistance programs knew. In the early morning hours of September 28, 2017, Nikki shot Chris in the temple, gathered their sleeping children, and fled the home. Just after 2 a.m., a police officer pulled up behind a red car, stopped at a green light. Assuming that the driver had dozed off or something, the officer hit his horn to get them moving again, but was surprised when a young mother got out of the car and started talking about a body just lying on the couch. In the officer's report, he noted that Nikki looked visibly, quote, distraught. In the dash cam footage, you can see Nikki standing on the pavement, shoeless and shaking. She tells the officer that Chris pulled the gun. They then struggled. It fell. She grabbed it. And when he threatened her life, she lunged and pulled the trigger. She also told the officer about the CPS visit the couple had just a day earlier. If you do watch the 48 hours that they made about Nikki's mm -hmm. case, they show the dash cam footage from that interaction. Mm -hmm. And... I just feel like if it was somebody who murdered somebody for no reason, why would they stop and get out and talk to the police so calmly? And you know what I mean? Like she exactly. truly, exactly. you know how many, many of the other cases that we cover that have, that have something suspicious about it. They lie, they lie and they change their story. And I don't see anywhere where Nikki has changed her story. And Nikki told them immediately, yeah, I shot him. She never pretended that she didn't shoot him. She never lied to the police, at least as far as I know. Because why would you? She just didn't know what to do. I believe in the dash cam footage, is she also pantsless? She's like barely wearing clothing, right? Uh, I, th I don't remember. I think she's like in shorts and a tank top. Yeah, or something she's like... like She's in her pajamas, having just run out right. of the house because she didn't know what to do. Yeah, and she is just f so fully cooperative with the police mm -hmm. the entire time. Yeah. According to the medium, quote, on September 27th, 2017, at around 10 a.m., two caseworkers with Child Protective Services arrived at Nikki and Chris's apartment on Van Wagner Road. Six days earlier, according to CPS notes, an anonymous caller had reported that, quote, on a weekly basis... The mother has had visible bruises to her face and chest. When the caseworkers arrived, they recorded that Nikki denied being threatened. A caseworker spoke with Chris, who told them he had no criminal history, substance abuse issues, aggressive behaviors, or mental health diagnoses. The caseworkers talked to the kids. Ben said his parents yelled about adult things and that his father grabbed his mother. Normal fights, Chris told CPS. All parents argue, Nikki added. So Ben tried to tell them what was going on and they covered it up. Mm -hmm. because, well, I understand that, though. Yes. Nikki doesn't want her kids taken away. Yeah, you're afraid that they're going to take the In kids. In that yeah. situation, you'll do anything to keep your kids. Yeah. And so this is the only instance where Nikki lied. One caseworker asked Nikki if there were weapons in the house and Nikki lied and said no. The caseworker scrawled on paper and discreetly showed it to Nikki, writing a note that said, are you safe right now? Nikki nodded again because you don't you're afraid that your children are going to be taken away. This com makes yeah. complete sense to me. And also, if if Chris is right there, even if they do discreetly show something like that to her, she's I feel like she's in a certain mode right now that she's covering survival up and making everything seem fine. Yeah, survival mode. She's just thinking, yeah. how do I protect my kids? How do I protect myself so that I can stay around long enough to protect my kids? So. Right. The caseworkers did not find cause to take immediate action and asked for the names of friends and family who could provide more information. Nikki, terrified that her kids would be removed, texted her sister Michelle Horton, whose contact information she had given to CPS. 
and told her, mention no injuries. I'm a good fucking mom. He's a good dad. Well, uh, his father, his fathering is whatever. I don't care. But I understand. It's not. Yeah. I understand. But it's also not part of Nikki's. I mean, it's part of her story, but his fathering is like not even the problem. Right. And you can assume, I would assume that if he's this way with Nikki, it's only a matter of time before he's this way with kids. I don't, I mean. Right. And I can see, like, they described him as being, you know, childlike and fun. And I can see that, like, being a good, like, a fun dad for these kids. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that he's not abusing their mom. Right. And it, I, I understand why Nikki lied. Again, we totally understand. You don't know what CPS is going to do. And most likely, they would have removed the children from the home. After this visit, Chris and Nikki had sex, and although it wasn't like their usual, quote, really violent sex, that's the usual, by the way, she still ended up bleeding into her underwear. The officer asked if it was consensual, and Nikki indicated that it was not, but she admitted that she didn't fight him. Which, again, I can understand, because if you know how dangerous he is, why would you? Nikki's best friend, Elizabeth Clifton, who is lovely and uh, directs a children's choir, by the way, uh, came to meet her at the stoplight and would look after the children while the police took Nikki into questioning. It would be nine months before she would see her children again. Despite all of the evidence of abuse and Nikki's admission of killing Grover in self-defense, Nicole Adamondo was taken into custody and charged with second-degree murder and gun possession. This last charge is absolutely ridiculous as the gun was legally registered to Grover. After Nikki's arrest, Elizabeth Clifton finally met Nikki's sister, Michelle Horton, for the first time. Michelle told Justine Vanderloon from The Median, I'm so sorry, uh, I probably butchered that last name. It's cool, though, um, that her family had been, quote, dumb and blind to Grover's abuse. Elizabeth had been her confidant throughout the years of abuse. Because, you know, you don't want to tell your family that. I understand. You tell your family last. According to Vanderloon's article, quote, 18 months before the shooting, Clifton, a former social worker and Ben's music teacher, had gently but persistently confronted Nikki. After initial denials, Nikki admitted she was being hurt at home. Later, Clifton says she learned Nikki was physically and sexually tortured on a regular basis. She always said to me, quote, he's a good dad, a good coach, and nobody will believe me. Clifton told me at the coffee shop. Horton added that that's what Clifton told Vanderloon at the coffee shop. Horton added that, indeed, the prosecution was not convinced by Nikki's claims and was planning to argue the killing was, quote, premeditated, and she planned this. Horton hypothesized their strategy would be to make Nikki look like a non-credible slut. And unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. The prosecutor, Putnam County ADA Chana Cross, I w- I'll leave it open for booze. If you'd like to boo, you can. <laughs> boo. <laughs> Uh, pursued a conviction, completely disregarding the year's worth of evidence substantiating Nikki's claim of severe intimate partner violence at the hands of Chris Grover. Just in case anyone wants to question whether or not she named her abuser, yes. Nikki named Chris in a number of reports as her abuser. You can see them online. Some people put them on their posters when they were protesting. They're out there for you to find. Yeah, because that's uh, some of the people that support Chris in this say that like, oh well, it couldn't, it wasn't him, it could have been anyone. She's a slut, right? That was. Like oh their... yeah, we when we first shared Nikki's story, we got this, and I could tell you this woman is crazy for sure because I looked at her Facebook and it was nuts. But she commented that oh Nikki was lying and it couldn't have been Chris and blah blah blah, and that's what they always say because you don't know, you didn't know. And people are different behind closed doors. Even if people knew Chris at work, you have no idea what's going on at home. Exactly. No idea. You You never know anybody. Right. And it's scary, but it's the reality. Yeah. I mean, and unfortunately, I mean, at least in with my experience in abusive partners, they are all childish and fun and charming in the beginning. Right. And... That's just, you know, the bait out there to, you know, the fish in the deep, dark depths of the ocean that has the light on top to draw the little fishes in? It's that. It's like that. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's get back to this. 
According to We Stand With Nikki, their website, Supporting Her Appeal and Release, which is where you can find a ton of useful information about the case, links to resources, and news and updates about her appeal. That's where I'm going to be living for the next, I don't know, forever until we get an In answer. our link tree, which is on our Instagram and our Instagram bio, we have a direct link to um, the We Stand With Nikki page, I believe. So um, if you're looking for this at a later date, you can find that on our Instagram at Dead Drunk Crime. We made it really easy for you guys. Anyway, on their website, they wrote, quote, Throughout the course of trial, Miss Krause used classic domestic violence myths to present multiple and often contradictory theories that Adamondo incited the abuse, liked the abuse, made up the abuse entirely, and if she were really being abused, then she should have left. Miss Krause relied on character assassination, victim blaming, and unsubstantiated claims repeated as fact garbage bell is is that the case you watched the 48 hours i <laughs> i was too afraid what do you think um <laughs> in the 48 hours i will say the only two people that are on chris's side are his mother and this woman and it's disgusting to me that two women and i know it's like chris's mom whatever are are that quick to to say things about another woman like that it's so disgusting right yeah i get i i can give them the benefit of the doubt you know like chris's mom was never gonna you're never gonna believe that your son could have done that unless you know you you know that your son that right. well i don't know but you know? exactly which is why um, i'm like okay it's his mom like mm-hmm. he, she lost her son whether or not he was a good person um but yeah but and I know that you can say that Shauna Cross was doing her job, but she wasn't really because she was just going in and com- she, it was I just and attacking Nikki. And <laughs> even if that is your job, it takes it takes a special kind of person to accept that case and say, "Yeah, I'm going to attack this victim." Yeah. For money. And Shauna Cross is that special kind of person. Her and her prosecution team perpetuated a ton of myths. Now I'm going to read some of the myths to you and then give you the truths. All of these myths can be read in full on the We Stand With Nikki website, which again is in our link tree and I highly recommend that you check it it's out. It's like two truths and a lie. <laughs> Except for <Yeah>. there's <laughs> all lies. Except for they're all lies. <laughs> so our first myth was there was no evidence that Grover had ever abused her. Oh my God. Um, Actually... Identifying evidence that named Chris Grover as her abuser was submitted and accepted into the record in Nikki's pre-sentencing hearing in September 2019. The prosecution convinced the judge to suppress this evidence during the jury trial. How did they do that? What was what was the reasoning that the judge was like, you know what? Yeah, I will. Well, we know that the judge is an asshole, so maybe that's it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Money, maybe? Uh, maybe. I'm not going to accuse anyone Let's... of that. Don't, <laughs> don't come for me. <laughs> Another myth? Everything pointed to the fact he was asleep when the defendant executed him. Truth, the state's own medical examiner conceded that the way Chris was found is compatible with Nikki's story, and the incident could have happened exactly as she described. Which would be hard I mean, for was, her to to do this and then have the, tell her story to the police probably, what, 20 minutes later? Yeah, so I think... I think that what people are saying is that there was gunshot residue like on him, which you get if the gun is close enough. But it's not it doesn't have to be just pressed up against you like you can get gunshot residue on you just from being close. And we know that she shot at close range because she said that they they were fighting. She got the gun from him. Meaning he was going to kill her. So. Myth. Nikki was extremely verbally abusive. Truth, the prosecution scoured Nikki's cell phone records and over the span of a nine-year relationship with Grover found three to four texts, they claimed, represented verbally abusive behavior. Those texts, which were presented to the jury without context, included these exact words, stupid, an asshole man-child. He is stupid and he is an asshole man-child. So, like, Number one, not untrue. Yeah, not Number untrue. Number two, is that really extremely verbally abusive? 
No. She might as no. well have called him a butthead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that's not... I... It's, yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. Another myth, Nikki planned the murder in advance. Truth, Nikki was indicted on charges, which we've already said, on second-degree murder and manslaughter. In the state of New York, only first-degree murder includes premeditation or planning. Nikki was not indicted or tried on first-degree murder charges because she did not premeditate or plan to murder Chris. Had the prosecution believed that she had, they would have indicted and tried her on first-degree murder charges. If this was a premeditated and planned act, as the prosecution theorized to the jury, one would expect that Nikki loaded the gun in preparation. Forensic evidence admitted to the court record during trial proved that only Chris's DNA was found on the slide of the gun. The slide of a gun is how you chamber a live round before shooting. So he was the one that loaded it. He was the one that loaded it. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm taking all of this right from the We Stand With Nikki website, just so you know. Yeah, just it's accurate. <laughs> myth the jury unanimously rejected the defendant's claims and concluded that nikki wasn't abused truth the jury's responsibility was to decide based only on the evidence and testimony that was admitted whether or not nikki was guilty of the charges she was indicted on for example the jury found her guilty of second degree murder which in new york means she caused the death of another person see new york penal law mm, some code <laughs> everybody knows the jury was not instructed or allowed to make any determinations about the validity of her claims of abuse. Okay. So the validity of her abuse was not even a question for the jury. The jury was just asked to decide whether or not she murdered someone, which she did. Besides the DA's official press release, the We Stand With Dickie website also busted a few of the myths that persisted throughout the community. If you're not from Poughkeepsie, let me explain what I already preluded to. Mr. Todd's Gymnastics is a pretty popular gymnastics place, and as head coach, Grover was something of a community figure around the gymnastics community. Girls he coached, mothers of those girls, and other members of the Poughkeepsie community that knew him came out to say that he was such a good guy, so he couldn't possibly be abusing him. <sighs> this is ridiculous. There is no profile for an abuser. They can be perfectly nice people and completely shift their behavior when they are alone with their partner. As we've already said. You know what's disgusting, too? What? In the 48 hours, I forgot this part. They had literal mm -hmm. children that were his students say, like, well, he couldn't, he wasn't abusive. Yeah, I don't know why they would have talked to any children. Like, the children, obviously, unless they're Nikki's children, they don't know. No, they were, like, children <laughs> they that weren't in took the house. gymnastics lessons there. I'm like, you yeah, don't know anything don't know. more than anyone else. And you're 10 years old. So... Not really sure yeah, why so you, you have an opinion on don't this. Don't really know exactly. anything. <laughs> not really sure why you're being... As a teacher, you don't know anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> According to We Stand With Nikki, quote, domestic violence expert Kellyanne Costial-Larrier testified at the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act hearing that the big misconception about abusers is that somehow everyone would know. Quote, my experience has been time and time again that the reason abusers are very effective at what they do is because they operate one way in the public and another way at home, she explained. Quote, and understanding that it is very difficult for people to come to terms with because it's not an anger management issue. If it was an anger management issue, abusers wouldn't be able to control themselves anywhere. Prosecutors repeatedly showed the jury a photo of Chris wearing a pink tutu in an effort to depict him as a nice, fun-loving, likable guy. Would an abuser wear pink? Would an abuser be adored by the young gymnast he coached? Putting up a photo of Grover in a tutu and saying he couldn't be an abuser is like playing an episode of The Cosby Show and saying Bill Cosby couldn't possibly be a serial rapist. <laughs> Again, from We Stand With Nikki, they're writing straight snaps. Like, this is fire. So... <laughs> Here are a few more myths that the prosecution perpetrated about Nikki that, again, are completely false. Myth. She was having multiple affairs. Truth. There was no evidence that she was having affairs. Not a single romantic or sexual text message, email, or communication was found in the years leading up to the shooting. An affair implies a consensual romantic relationship with another consenting adult, and that simply wasn't happening. I don't see how it could be happening. She's trying to make ends meet for her children, and constantly being tortured and abused. Myth. She accuses everyone of abusing her, which is just like the stupidest myth I've ever freaking seen. That's like if somebody... 
that's like if somebody was like, oh, she's not abused. She says that all the time. What? <laughs> she's literally hurt. Like, she's really, there were pictures of her injuries. Anyway, the truth, there is only one person named in police and medical documentation as her abuser. Can you guess who that might be? Is it Christopher Grover? Yeah, it is. Oh, how did I know? I don't know. There were so many that you could choose from. How would you possibly I'm, know? I'm so smart. <laughs> Myth. And this is the most frustrating one that I've talked about before. She could have left. Truth. She was trying to leave, which is why the violence was escalating. The truth is that the most dangerous time for a victim, which you all know, is when she's leaving or has just left. As Nikki said in her sentencing statement, leaving doesn't mean living. Yes, girl. I love that. She has I mean, such, I hate it, but she has I, such I a way with words. But yeah, she does. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I understand your sentiment. I hate <laughs> it, but I love the word. I hate it, but I love I love her way with words. Myth. She's a poet and she doesn't know it. Are you ready for this one? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I am. It's okay. <laughs> this myth. She wanted it. She liked it. She did it to herself. Do you want to just marinate with that before I give you the truth? <laughs> she did it to herself. Right. Okay. Sure. Here's um, the truth. Um, Hold on. My internet connection is unstable and it blocked out the words. Okay. Intentionally blurring the lines between kink and brutal rape, the prosecution suggested that Nikki may have been engaging in consensual sex in which she was tied up for hours, strangled nearly unconscious, sodomized, penetrated by homemade foreign objects, and beaten. The judge echoed the prosecution's mimi- mini- sorry, I read that weird. minimization by saying to Nikki during sentencing, quote, maybe Grover was engaging in intimate acts that you were very uncomfortable with and didn't want to engage in. Maybe you were worried people would find out you were reluctantly consented. Find out you reluctantly consented. Let's be clear. There is no such thing as reluctant consent. There is either consent or there is rape. Nikki submitted to extensive psychological examination. She was never found by any trained mental health professional to suffer from masochism, antisocial personality disorders, or any mental health disorders that would support the prosecutor's claim that she was compulsively driven to harm herself or dupe a litany of trained professionals. Ever since Chris's death, Nikki has had zero injuries on her body. If she were self-harming, that behavior would have continued in jail. So I feel like the most telling thing here is that there are no injuries on Nikki's body since Chris died. Mm, So what would that tell you? Mm, The thing hurting her has been removed, right? Yeah, (laughs) makes sense. Again, I want to tell you all about the horrible mishandling of justice that led to Nikki's imprisonment. But the wonderful people at the We Stand with Nikki website did it way better than I ever could. Because they're incredible. Because they are incredible. And really, I mean, that group of, the group of people with We Stand With Nikki, the group of people behind And So I Stayed, you guys are real life heroes. I don't know if anyone's listening. If you are, I'm really honored to have you listening to me. But (laughs) thank you for everything that you've done for these women and for all the women across America and the world that are being abused by their romantic partners or are in prison for trying to escape their romantic partner yeah because i mean tanisha davis was the first to be released early because of this law but uh, i think we said it last episode hopefully not the last and so everything that these people are doing to help nikki is helping so many so many people oh yeah and that's why i i have so much hope because tanisha was released i have so much all right so this is what happened according to we stand with nikki Quote, prior to Adamando's sentencing, New York State passed the Domestic Violence Survivors Justice Act and Governor Cuomo signed it into law. The new law took into account the mitigating factors of domestic violence when sentencing survivor defendants such as Adamando and would change her sentencing structure from a minimum of 15 to life down to a minimum of five years. In September 2019, the court held an eligibility hearing and the defense presented even more professional testimony to the rape and torture Adamando endured. Despite having more documented abuse than most victims, Judge McLaughlin denied her eligibility. Judge McLaughlin, I just wanted you to uh, know his name, denied her eligibility. Understand more about the judge's misapplication and why legislators are rallying for her appeal. 
on the website. On February 11th, 2020, Judge McLaughlin sentenced Adamondo to 19 years to life, plus 15 years, plus five years post-supervision for possessing her partner's legally registered gun to be served concurrently. He said it's clear she's been abused by, quote, other men, but there wasn't evidence it was Grover. Again, Adamondo named only one abuser. Just so you know, that's what the judge said. Judge McLaughlin said he understood she, quote, reluctantly consented to, quote, intimate acts with Grover. Acts including being raped with homemade objects, sodomized with his gun, burned on her genitalia while pregnant, and subjected to humiliating revenge porn. He concluded that she is a, quote, broken person. Edamondo gave a powerful personal statement, saying, quote, I wish more than anything it ended another way. I wouldn't be in this courtroom right now, but I wouldn't be alive either. This is why women don't leave. They so often end up dead or where I'm standing. Alive, but still not free. Which I have a shirt yeah, that says I that. because Glasses that say it too. So if you guys want one, hit me up. Ooh. Yeah, if you guys want some alive, but still not free stuff, maybe if you want that stuff, we could donate anything that you want to pay for it to Nicole herself. Other victims in the community received a clear message with Nikki's case. The system will not believe you, even with evidence. And you guys, when I tell you, I, it was my boss that told me that they would be deciding whether or not she would be sentenced under the DVSJA when I was at work. And for the rest of my time at work, I was just online refreshing, waiting to see. And then when I saw, I sobbed the entire way home. Because not not only was this woman completely screwed over by the criminal justice system and the system that was supposed to protect her in the first place, but right. now, what does that say for the rest of us? I mean, if Nicole Adamondo, who had more evidence than any other like case we've ever talked about, this is, even Tanisha and Kim, this is so much freaking evidence. This is like Adnan Syed level evidence. Right. <laughs> this, yeah. yeah. So, I just cried because how could you, what if it was you, Tierney? What if it was me? What if it, it could have been anybody who had- It could have been anybody. Literal binders and medical reports and police reports, but it didn't matter. And- I, you can't blame all the judges, but you can blame Judge McLaughlin for completely saying, you know what, fuck women, fuck you, and let's, you know, let's protect all the abusers, you know? I. That's, I mean, that's Garbage. what he did. Garbage. Nikki filed an appeal on July 31st, 2020 with the New York State Court of Appeals through a pro bono appellate team headed by Sullivan and Cromwell LLP. It features... Snaps for these people. It features five specific points of appeal. One, Adamondo was wrongfully deprived the counsel of her choice. Two, Adamondo was indicted in an unfair process infected by false testimony. Three, Adamondo was refused her right to raise a peremptory, yeah, got that, challenge during jury selection. Four, erroneous evidentiary rulings deprived Adamondo of the right to present a defense. And five, Adamondo should have received a reduced sentence under the DVSJA. Can I add something? Yeah. If you guys did listen to our last episode on Tanisha Davis, it's the same lawyers. Yeah. It's yeah. Sullivan and Cromwell. They're, they're awesome. They're really, really good. And they do these for, for free. You can read more about Nikki's appeal on the website. And, you know, as we know, it is today. We don't. It does take some time for you to hear back about appeals. And I mean, usually it's not good news, but we have high hopes because Tanisha was released and the DVSJA seems to be being taken seriously now, finally. Um, I don't know why it wasn't in the first place. But I have a lot of hope for this. So we don't know if we'll hear back today or if we'll hear next week or next month. But, you know, keep the hope alive. If you have something purple, wear purple. If you have a purple candle, light it. I know... I Everybody says this and it's stupid to like, oh, send your vibes that way. But really, sending that energy out into the world can help. This is going to sound insane, but I kid you not, 
I did a spell for Nikki's appeal the week before a date was set. Wow. There it is. I, yeah. So <laughs> once a date was set, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Nikki's supporters did note this on the website, and I'd like to leave you with this. Quote, if the appellate court deems Nikki eligible to be sentenced under the DVSJA, they can resentence her between five and 15 years. And considering the facts of the case, the history of horrific abuse, and Nikki's lack of criminal record as well as her two young children, the appellate brief states that, quote, Adamondo respectfully requests a sentence of five years with a concomitant reduced sentence on the weapon possession count. That would be awesome. That would be amazing if they just reduce it to five years, and then she could get out and still be with her children again. And she's already served some time, so it would be less than five years from now that she would get out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, if they if they allow with time served, you know, with the appeal. Right. 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 But hopefully, I think that there's a really good chance. I think that this appeal is, I mean, one of the strongest I've ever seen. I mean, it's not like like if Derek Chauvin tries to appeal. That's what I was just about to say. (laughs) Is that although we are trying to get one person out of prison, uh, there is another that hopefully soon will be going straight in. Um. Which is Derek Chauvin, because yesterday when we're recording this, I guess two days ago when you're listening, if you're listening right when we post, Derek Chauvin was uh, found guilty on all three counts of unintentional second degree murder, third degree murder and second degree manslaughter, which is snaps for finally and just I mean, this past week, Adam and I've been watching all of the Oscar nominated movies and if you have not seen Judas and the Black Messiah, you should watch it. Daniel Kaluuya was awesome as Fred Hampton. I hope he wins an Oscar. Um, but we watched that the night before. And then this happened the next day. And I was just like, we have come a, a long way. I mean, not far enough as a society <laughs> as you would hope. Yeah. But from the, it was just really bittersweet to to hear this news and, I was scoring a volleyball game and almost cried, but it was fine Um, because he's garbage. And if he appeals, he's garbage and he needs to go to jail because he's a murderer. And that's the end of my rant. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. (laughs) Yes. So with Derek Chauvin in jail and hopefully not trying to bring his toilet paper strength appeal (laughs) to any kind of court. That's what I was going to say is Jarek Chauvin's appeal compared to Nikki's is a fin toilet paper compared to, I don't know, the entire Game of Thrones series. Like I (laughs) (laughs) Nicole has so much support behind her and Derek Chauvin. It's like, I mean, this whole time I've been saying, can't we just skip all this? I understand it's our criminal justice system, but like we all watched it Mm -hmm. like we (laughs) like we watched it. I don't know why it's a question. You did it. So like (laughs) seriously. Anyway, we do have a special chaser for you today, which you'll hear and we'll tell you a little bit more about after we plug our sources, right? Our socials, but I always call it sources. <laughs> oh my plug God. Our socials. You, I was thinking sources for that entire time. I literally thought, so we'll plug our sources now. I'm looking at the word sources, but I don't think that's an excuse. They don't want to so, hear yeah. about our sources. They want to hear about our socials. Let's plug our socials. So if you want to talk to us more about this case, you can find us on <laughs> Facebook at Dead Drunk at Your Crime Podcast. Or you can join our discussion group, Dead Drunk Discussions, where we talk about anything you want, really. Just come and talk to us, please. Please come. Yeah, anything you want. <laughs> Update on this ongoing discussion that I just keep going when we plug our socials. Oh, it's called a bra me. It's created by <laughs> Natalie Rogers. And she has like, re- it's still removable cups. Um, but like, I just have bigger, f- better faith in her, I guess. Um, in her removable cups. I don't know. I've still yet to find somebody that'll just fucking sew them in the shit. Like I just sew it. In. I don't need it to. Anyway. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that some more for sure. Cause it's just my biggest problem with the world. <laughs> if you want to share pictures of violet syrup that you make or color changing drinks you can share that with us on our Instagram at dead drunk crime or our Twitter at dead drunk crime speaking of Twitter we have 10 whole followers on Twitter can you believe 
Oh my gosh. Is it just because we're, it's gotta be just because we're plugging our socials. Like we, we don't our do Our socials. <laughs> our socials. Um, That's what they're called now. I'm done with this. <laughs> I think it's because I have it set up so that we auto tweet when our <laughs> episodes come out. So if you go on our Twitter, it's just like this episode's out, this episode's out. And then like once in a while, it'll be like, this post is shared from Instagram. <laughs> but I don't know that we've ever actually gone to Twitter and crafted a tweet. Quality content. Yes, I haven't. We're so really, haven't, really good at social no. media. We're only okay at Facebook. Like <laughs> we're working on Instagram because I feel like that's that's the platform. I used to be really good at it and then Honestly, I just fell off of most of most social medias. Yeah, I, don't I don't even post on my usually own, post. So <laughs> It's I took a picture cool. of the violet syrup I made today. I might post that, but like oh, that's do it. that's post it. it. Post okay. it. Post it. Post it. Post it up. Okay. Okay. I'll post that, but that's about it. Uh, other than that, you can find the sources listed in our blog post on our website at deaddrunkpodcast.com. And we're still on Patreon. We have completely unlocked all of Israel keys. We've opened every door. And... <laughs> And we're still waiting for the FBI to contact us, but you know, like sometime, someday we'll be recognized for our brilliant research skills and talent. Yeah. <laughs> um, so patreon.com slash dead drunk this month, we are going to be releasing a serial killer kind of murderer who is a woman who was born on the same birthday as me. And whoop, whoop, birthday case. She's really creepy. And yeah, my birthday was uh, last week, but. Uh, as we are with most things, we are late. Yeah. We're really good at end of the month for Patreon. So <laughs> it will be there by <laughs> April 30th. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, it will be there by the end of April for sure. For sure. For sure. I also have some spooky stuff to share with you. We're doing a lot of cool stuff over on our Patreon. So come join us. Um, do we have anything else? I mean, we also have merch, but um, it's linked. And also, it's all linked. It's all linked. Why do we bother? And also, I think, do you want to do that? If you want Nikki stuff that say alive but still not free, you know, just, let us know. Just let us know. DM us. We'll do that. Send us snail mail. No, I'm not telling you where I live. No. <laughs> um, you can. You can really just. You, you know. You know what? You can. You. You can find us. You can find us. My you know okay? when you can, and then and you can, and you and you know when you. <laughs> And apparently, I've never been Four. on live television before. <laughs> so, for our chaser today, we have a very special chaser where we're going to sing again. And this song is pretty special. One of Nikki's earlier pieces of artwork that the Instagram shared was a picture that she did in her prison cell of her in the cell and it said you will be found and there's a song from dear evan hansen the musical, musical that <laughs> you've Dearney's definitely heard me talk about it you guys it's so good. yeah she's seen it 20 something times if you want me to go live on instagram and perform it as a one woman show i 100 percent will if i get like two comments asking me to i probably will okay yeah she has she has the shirt she has a fake do to have the fake I, I can I can craft a fake cast out of toilet paper, and also I have um, I have the whole libretto of the show. So <laughs> yeah, so she can really do it. Like if you if you want her to perform Dear Evan Hansen for you <laughs> by herself on Instagram, she'll do it. But, but for, for now, today, <laughs> we're singing "You Will Be Found" with um, what's the song called from Hamilton? Uh, the story of tonight. It's called Found Tonight. Ben Platt and Lynn Manuel Miranda, two of my fave guys, sang it together, and it's beautiful. And it kind of highlights, you know, Nikki's fight as well as just like the fight of the entire world at this moment. And I think it's great. So we hope that you like. I it hope we do it justice. If not, um, please don't come for me. Just maybe comment like a smiley face <laughs> with like a colon and a parenthesis like that smiley face and I'll know, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> okay. Well, we're going to sing now. Yeah. Best wishes. Warmest <laughs> regards. Apparently...
we may not yet have reached our glory but i will gladly join the fight and when our children tell their story they'll tell the story of tonight they'll tell the story of tonight tonight have you ever felt like nobody was there have you ever felt forgotten in the middle of nowhere have you ever felt like you could disappear Tonight. 